0: Welcome here today. My name is Bill, for those of you who don't know, and uh, I'm gonna talk about something important today, uh, and it won't be about me, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm gonna make you a promise right now. I am going to bore you to death. I promise, have you ever heard a preacher pro- promise that? It's, it's actually pretty easy to do, and uh, But first, before I do that, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. And our theme for this series of messages is no perfect people. Because there is no such thing as a perfect human being. Jesus Christ was the only person who ever lived as a human being who lived a perfect life. The rest of us, well, maybe you grew up in Three Hills and you were going to Sunday school from from this high or even lower, uh, and so your life has not been ravaged by some of the things that the rest of us have had to deal with, but uh, if you're like me and you came uh, to, to know Jesus and be a follower of his uh, a little later on in life, there are some things in your closet that... Uh, And even if you did grow up going to Sunday school, there may still be some things in your closet that uh, bring shame and guilt. So we're going to read here for a moment from the book of Titus. At one time, speaking of those of us who are followers of Jesus, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. I love that verse. talks about me. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Now we look at that, that last, you know, speaking of the hope of eternal life and and we take that rightly to be a promise about what is our future, beyond the grave. But sometimes in the present, because of some of the things that we have done or have been done to us, we bear shame and guilt, and we wonder, am I ever going to fit in? Is there a place for me in God's kingdom right here and now? We wonder about that. And maybe we sit at the back in church, and uh, no offense to you folks that are sitting at the back, but uh, maybe we sit at the back of the church and keep our head down, and we don't fully enter into the life of Christ, in Christ. We don't fully enter into the life of His church, because, and there is a life in church. Not the building, that's just a building, and I'm glad we have one. This is a tough climate to uh, meet out of doors all the time. But uh, there is a life because we are, those of us who follow Jesus, are a family. And as followers of Jesus, there's a place for each of us in that family. And I can prove that to you while I bore you to death. We're going to turn back. How many of you sit and read genealogies while you're uh, reading your Bible? How many people love genealogies? I love genealogies. Because it was one of the things that convinced me that the Bible had to be true. When you're looking through genealogies, and we're looking today in the genealogy of Matthew, written in Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. And when we look at that, there are a lot of people in here that are never mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, So we don't know anything about them. But I know they were not perfect people because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the ones we do know about are so deeply flawed, and we're going to look at a few of them today, are so deeply flawed that if I was writing an imaginary story, I would never mention them or I would sanitize their lives to make it sound better. Because after all, who would know? 2,000 years later, who would know? Anyhow, we're gonna turn to Matthew chapter one, and I'm gonna pick out three people. We're gonna begin reading in verse five, and we'll just read five and six. And if you thought genealogy was boring, you gotta go back in the Bible and look some things up here because uh, it's, it'll, it'll tell you something. So we're gonna start with Salmon, who was the father of Boaz, and Boaz's mother was Rahab. Now, that's something that, uh, I think that's only the second woman that's mentioned in uh, the, the genealogy of Jesus. Yeah, and the first one didn't have a great life either. But this woman particularly, well, she was a a resident of the city of Jericho. And if you look at the beginning of the book of Joshua, you'll find out that, uh, that when the Israelites entered the promised land, the place that God had promised them, everybody in Jericho was determined to keep them out. The whole city rose up against them. They were, hey, you're not coming here, boys, and girls, because there was a fair amount of women traipsing around uh, to come to the Promised Land too. Now, there was one exception, and that was a lady named Rahab. She, She helped the people who came to see how things were going in advance of the rest of the Israelites. She protected them. She said some words which would lead me to believe, when you listen listen to them, them, read them in the book of Joshua, that she had placed faith in Jesus Christ. Future, of course, because Christ hadn't arrived yet. But she was aligning herself with the people of God. That was amazing me that uh, this woman in this city, which was a deadly enemy of uh, the Israelites, would take that step. What was also amazing to me was her career. She was a prostitute. Now that doesn't mean much to most of us in Canada here because it's illegal here. And uh, most of us would consider it immoral, and we would, we would try to avoid that as much as possible. Although it does happen here, don't kid yourself—it takes place here, and and all the the coercion and uh, and and violence and and viciousness that accompany it, it takes place right here in Canada. Same as any other place. It was—it amazed me uh, a few years ago. My wife and I went to Germany. I think it was. 2014, we holidayed there on our way back from visiting our kids in, in someplace overseas, and uh, uh, we were going to go to this nice Greek restaurant right next to the Burger King, down the street from our hotel uh, in uh, Freiburg, Germany, south southwestern Germany. Uh, looked like a really nice building, so we went up to it, and. Uh, we didn't, we walked away without getting anything to eat because uh, it turned out it wasn't a nice Greek restaurant. It was a brothel. And uh, that really stunned me because it's, it's legal there. And so I did some research when we got home to find out about it because we're a lot like the Germans. Uh, I figure anything that's gonna happen in Germany or Sweden or Denmark uh, now is gonna happen here in Canada. We think we're like Americans. But not really, we're more, like, we're more like Northern Europeans. We're not even like British parliamentary democracy, which we're modeled after, supposedly, because when a politician in England does something stupid, uh, his own party gets rid of him. Here, that doesn't happen. They hide it. Uh, but, uh, in, so we're not like the Brits either. We're more like the Germans and the Swedes. So I figured it's coming here. But the interesting thing I discovered about it, even though it is legal in Germany, most of the people who participate in it, in that industry, I, I use the word participate, but I would, uh, it's more like who are trapped in that industry in Germany, come from some place in Eastern Europe, some poor country in Eastern Europe, or some poor country in Asia. some poor country in Africa, and they're lured there with a promise of a better life, only to find themselves enslaved in a brothel. That's how it goes. And it's the same here. The people who participate in the underground trade in Canada are coerced or enslaved, however you want to put it, you know, somebody will get you hooked on drugs, and okay, now uh, here's the rest of the story. This is what you're going to do until you're dead or you manage to escape. That's how it goes, everywhere in the world, always. So, and, and imagine yourself in a legal country like Germany, uh, in that trade, you get old and you retire, and, and you're sitting around in, 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 a, in a coffee shop, and somebody says to you, so what was your career when you were young? What are you going to tell them? There is a, even though it's behind you, there's a good deal of, of shame and guilt. So you tell them, oh, it was a receptionist somewhere, or uh, you make something up anyway. Because who would say that? Now, it goes on to speak of Rahab's child, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, there's a woman that has a whole book in the Bible written about her in the Old Testament. She had an exemplary, an outstanding life. She was an amazing person. She was not an Israelite, but she came to faith in the God of the Israelites, and lived as an Israelite, married one, and had Obed. But even that woman, we find from other places, had a shameful secret. You see, not being uh, an Israelite, well, who was she? She was a Moabite. Now, just imagine you are Moab, the founder of the whole tribe that she was part of. You're you're Moab, and you go into a bar in Three Hills and order a beer. Well, maybe you don't in Three Hills, although I think we have a bar. I haven't been in it yet, but uh, 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 you go someplace, and maybe you go somewhere and order a lemonade, a tea house and order a lemonade. And the bartender, uh, pardon me, the tea house person, uh, the tea house person says to you, so stranger, where are you from? What's your name? And you say, <coughs> and uh, uh, I didn't quite catch that, they say. So you say, <coughs> uh, or something. And uh, then they say, look, you got to tell me who you are. And uh, I don't know about what they do in a tea house, but I know what they do in a bar because I, I did used to, I have been in a few in the past. I wasn't always a follower of Jesus. And and even after that, I used to go and talk to people about Jesus in bars, and I drank coffee. And you can get away with that. It's okay, as long as you're buying something. They'll let you sit there all night. Anyhow, this guy finally confesses. He says, Moab, my name is Moab. And the bartender looks at him and then says, Hey, everybody, this guy's name is Moab. And then comes the scornful laughter. Because you see, back then, people's names meant something. It told you something about that person. Bill tells you nothing about me. But uh, Moab told everybody that this guy was a product of incest, which is, in every society in the world, a shameful secret. How do I know that? I've been a preacher for 37 years, and. And I've dealt with more than one family that had that problem, sometimes for generations. And it is always, in every last one of them, a shameful secret. And the perpetrators and the victims both keep that secret. The victims grow up to be angry when they realize what's been done to them. They're angry and resentful and ashamed that they would be the victims. The people who perpetrated on them through coercion or force or or whatever, they also bear guilt and shame. When they finally want to confess their sins, they can't even name it. I sat with a man one time who wanted to tell me about it. He talked for half an hour about the mistakes he'd made and the things he'd, he'd done wrong, and I finally said to him, you know what, you've got to tell me what you've done that you're so, you feel so terrible about. And it took him another 10 minutes to actually name his sin. Naming your sin, by the way, is a very good way to deal with it. That's where you start. You call it what it is and get it right out in front. Anyway, the shame and and guilt for everybody involved carries on for even generations. That's how I know that Ruth bore a certain amount of shame, because her very tribal name told everybody about her ancestors and the shame that they bore. Now, we go on and we see Obed, the the son of Ruth, and Boaz was the father of a guy named Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Now, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, if you're not a Bible reader, that would mean nothing to you. But if you've read it a lot, you you know a little bit about it, and maybe even if you're not a Bible reader, you've heard the story how David committed adultery with Uriah's wife. Bathsheba was her name. And it seemed he used a certain amount of coercion, too. He was the king, after all. And she was in a patriarchal society that uh, where a woman didn't have much of a say. She was husband was her protection. And he was off at war fighting David's battles. And we know that uh, after bringing her to, having her brought to him and committing adultery with her, she became pregnant. She wrote a note and sent it to the palace to tell David that she was pregnant. And her husband had been away for months, so everybody would know it wasn't his so David had her husband killed. Not he, he didn't even do it himself. Had somebody else do it. Uh, really wicked. Had her husband killed, and then he married her. Doesn't seem like it was much of a marriage either. When you read the bits be, that it talks about it, between the lines, they didn't have a good relationship. And how could they? And he tried to hide it. Psalm 51, if you read it, is, is his confession about how awful he felt during that time. The guilt and pain of his sin and what he had done in the lives of others. How it marred his, his life. So there's three people that are that have guilty, or shameful, or both secrets. You and I, we too, have things that if we dwell on them, would make us feel guilty and ashamed. Sometimes it prevents us from fully participating in the life of of God's people. We just want to walk around and keep our heads down. We wonder, is there a place for me? Could God really use someone like me? And I know we think like that, because I did. I wondered, with some of the things that I have done in life, Is there a place for me? And the answer, according to the lives of these three people, according to God, is yes. Yes. There is a place in God's kingdom, and it doesn't start when we die and go to heaven. It starts now. There's a spot for us. If we are a Rahab or a Ruth, or a David, or anything else. Christ bore our sins on the cross. All of them. And God says, you got to read the Old Testament, read this one too, that your sins are buried in the deepest sea, and I will remember them, No more. Now, that's not because God is forgetful. If you tell me your sins today, and I've forgotten them by tomorrow, it's just because I'm over 70, and, uh, and I'm getting forgetful. But God forgets our sin because he chooses to. Because it's not ours anymore. Christ bore it for us. The shame and the guilt that results from sin are his also. Not because he deserved it, we deserved it, but he did it because God wanted to find a way where he could pardon us and we could have a normal relationship with him and each other. Not the normal human relationship that we think of that involves all the things that Paul mentions in the book of Titus that we read earlier but that we might live unto God in Christ and I believe that's why God deliberately chose these people to be part of the lineage of Jesus I was going to say some bigger word earlier in the first service than lineage but I couldn't get it out you know, first day with my new lips or something. But uh, uh, lineage is a good word, too. I had to think of another word. But uh, to prove to us that nobody is beyond use in the kingdom. Nobody. There's no, none of us when we come to Christ where there is no place for us in the family of God. No place for us uh, in in full participation. There's none of us who experience that. Only if we choose to continue to live with the guilt and shame that Christ has already taken upon himself. So I'd like to encourage you today, if your life includes something that uh, brings you shame, if you've been something that would make you a pariah out in, the, in society. Maybe you've been in jail. Maybe you're a drug addict or have been one. Maybe you're, you're a, maybe you're an adulterer like David. Maybe you have a shameful family secret like Ruth. Any one of those things. This is the place to be. Because in this family... Not particularly this building, but this family. This group of people who have been redeemed for the work of Jesus and made new. The Bible says all things in our lives are new. Everything is different now. There's nothing preventing you from entering into a relationship with God and full participation in his kingdom right from right from the moment you believe on. Nothing to stop you, except your own self. If you refuse Christ, you'll continue to live with your guilt and shame. If you refuse to Jesus, if you refuse him, there is no other way whereby you can... Get away from the consequences of your sin and, the, and the, the sense of doom that it casts over your life. And I don't care if it's something big or something small even. Sometimes the smallest things are, are, that we do wrong are the things that bother us the most. The things that could never be found out. I know, the reason I know that is because there are some things that none of you will ever know about me. Even my own wife whom I share most things with, doesn't know everything about me. But when you come to know Jesus, when you become his follower, his mercy, his grace, extends to every part of your life. And as we see from the lives of of these people, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, nothing that can keep him from changing not only your eternal destiny, but your whole life. He will do that, and all you have to do is say yes to him. Yes, I'm yours. Yes, I'll follow you. Yes, I want what you offer, the mercy the grace, the love, all you have to do is say yes. Let's pray together for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the great mercy and love that you've extended to us. We thank you too, those of us who've accepted it already, for the change, the complete change you've brought about in our lives. Lord, you hold nothing back from us, and you do have a place for us, both in your future kingdom and also in your kingdom on this earth, in your family here, the church. Thank you. We thank and praise you today. We worship you with gratitude, even this Thanksgiving weekend, for Jesus' sake and because of him. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.